This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Tony Heller, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Yeah, good to be here. How is the information war treating you? Well, for me, it's great. Um, I, I used to, I spent many years working as an engineer, designing microprocessors, doing software. And that yeah, gets kind of boring doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, so about 14 years ago, I, mm. I started, I started, my, my undergraduate degree was in science and geology. So I've always been kind of more interested in science than engineering anyway. So as a distraction, about 14 years ago, I started looking into the, the whole climate story and realized that it was actually pretty ridiculous. Um, I, I was actually first introduced to the global warming idea. Uh, when I was working as a scientist, as a geologist at Los Alamos Laboratories in 1980, and it sounded pretty believable then. Um, so I, I was kind of a true believer for a long time, but about maybe about 15 or 16 years ago, I started looking into it and started realizing that things weren't somewhat amiss. <laughs> and um, so I got really interested in it, and, and originally it was just a distraction from my boring, repetitive engineering work. But then I got deeper and deeper into it. So so it, it's been tremendous fun for me over the last 14 years digging into this and just seeing how what a ridiculous scam the whole thing is and exposing it. When I first started, I had a lot of conflicts with other well-known climate skeptics who wanted to believe that this was some sort of scientific debate. And to me, it was obvious it wasn't. It was obvious it was a scam. So I was, I've been calling it a scam all along, and this offended a lot of skeptics who believed that they could win this debate scientifically by just laying out scientific arguments. And I realized that wasn't the case because I realized that the people who were pushing this whole thing had no interest in science. They were just fabricating data, making up fake stories, and it wasn't a misunderstanding. It was, it was quite intentional fraud. I'm uh, talking to you right now from um, the bottom tip of the African continent, and I think the global warming memo hasn't arrived because it's pretty cold here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but now the thing is, they call it climate change, and now it's because you know the climate is changing now, so cold and warm now counts. Well, yeah, it's sort of the uh, when when the global warming thing wasn't working out too well. You know, I, I think they realized that the, the extreme weather thing would always work. Earth has always had a, a lot of extreme weather, terrible hurricanes, um, tornadoes, droughts, floods. It's been going on forever. And, and some of the earliest biblical stories are about mm. tremendous floods and pestilence and locust plagues and all, all these horrible things. Um, but most people aren't really familiar with history. So every time now there's a hurricane or, or there's a drought or there's a forest fire, CNN just shows it over and over again. They get, and they repeat it on the hour, every hour, or more often than that. It's they tell people, then they get some academic on who say, it's never been like this before. This, this is the worst hurricane we've ever had. We've never had forest fires like this before. I, what, what's really funny for me is, is I'm from New Mexico. I come from Los Alamos, New Mexico which is the most educated city in the world. One third of the population is PhDs. And you, you think these people would be scientifically literate. Um, you know, New Mexico has been having a lot of recurring droughts over the last 20 years. You think these people would be scientifically literate enough to understand that this is the climate of New Mexico. There's a reason why the Anasazi went extinct 800 years ago it's because they had decades of drought and um you know i know i know someone who works at bandelier national monument near los alamos which is a, a indian ruin it's a it was it was occupied until about seven or eight hundred years ago and eventually the people had to leave because of decades long drought the, the creek dried up they couldn't grow food there and they had to leave 
you think he would make the connection between that and the fact that New Mexico gets really bad droughts. But no, this drought is caused by fossil fuels. And, and no matter how much evidence I provide these people, they refuse to believe it. Um, so it's it, it's it's very entertaining for me to see how the propagandized mind can be convinced that what we're seeing is unprecedented. We've never had bad weather before, <laughs> even though the historical record is dominated by bad weather. The, the droughts of 1878 killed 20 million people in India and 10 million people in China. Similar thing in 1896. Um, but now if we have a you know drought or heat wave in, in India or China that kills a few hundred people, it's climate change. It's <laughs> something new. It's never happened before. It's because you're burning fossil fuels. The, the whole thing is just a, it's a farce, but it, it's tremendously entertaining for me to see how ridiculous human beings can be, though. Well, I mean, I, as I said to you a few minutes ago, um, it was you who pretty much red pulled me on the whole thing um, a few years ago. Um, and <laughs> when I when I watch some of your videos, I get the feeling that you have just you've had it, because this the amount of snark and sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, these people are just making a mockery of themselves. So I I I just have to be basically go through, show what they're saying, show how ridiculous it is, and and then sometimes I send my videos off to them to just show them. Yeah how absurd they are and, and hopefully instill some sense of guilt. Although I don't know if that's actually possible with these people. <laughs> Tony, when we, when we talk about climate change though, in all seriousness, what are we talking about? Well, the, the story that's been, that's been told is that um, the burning of fossil fuels has increased the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and, and carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas, so by increasing the amount of greenhouse gases, we're making the planet hotter, and this is going to cause the Arctic to melt, and the Antarctic is going to melt, Greenland's going to melt, everybody near the coast is going to drown, and the weather is going to become unbearably hot, and we're going to have terrible droughts, and everything on Earth is going to die as a result of this. We have the extinction rebellion now. So it's a great story, except that if, if you actually look at the scientific basis for it, it, it doesn't withstand any scrutiny. Uh, for one thing, almost the entire uh, effect of, of carbon dioxide as, as a greenhouse gas is in the first 50 or 60 parts per million. We're currently at 400 parts per million, and increasing carbon dioxide levels have very little effect on Earth's radiative transfer balance. Um, it, it's almost all of the effect is already present and additional effects are minimal. And if we go back in the historical record, um, you know, 540 million years ago, the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere was about 15 times higher than it is now. And that's when the greatest expansion of life on, occurred. Um, the, that's when corals evolved. That's when shellfish evolved. So there was a tremendous expansion of life with carbon dioxide levels much higher than they are now and temperatures much higher than they are now. So the whole basis of this extinction rebellion has no basis. It's just based on fake computer models and hysteria superstition. Um, but the geologic record shows very clearly that life does very well at higher levels of carbon dioxide. And in fact, operators of commercial greenhouses greatly pump up the amount of carbon dioxide inside the greenhouse because it makes the plants grow faster and it makes them more drought resistant. So higher levels of carbon dioxide are actually extremely good for life, but they're being promoted as being very bad for life by people who want to control the energy supplies. They've made this fake story about fossil fuels are going to wipe out all life on Earth when and the reality is that they're more likely to do the exact opposite. Yeah, um, I'm trying to figure out where one starts with this whole climate change narrative. Um, I mean, there are so many places, and I suppose the obvious starting point is that the climate has always changed. It's cyclical, and even the last 200 years or so of the Industrial Revolution have made pretty much no difference to Earth's climate. 
I, I, I think it's pretty clear that in the United States, the climate of the United States has gotten better over the last century. We have far fewer heat waves. Hurricanes are down. Severe tornadoes are down. Mm. Um, drought is down. Um, you know, in the 1930s, we had terrible problems with the climate, with the Dust Bowl. Millions of people from the Midwest had to leave their farms and move out to California. And this caused tremendous demographic changes in the United States. Um, flooding on the Mississippi River during, in 1927, that was when the worst floods in U.S. history occurred, forced uh, millions of descendants of slaves who had, who had homesteaded along the Mississippi River to abandon their homes. The Mississippi River was flooded for more than six months. They couldn't farm there, and they ended up moving to northern cities. So this caused a huge population shift where the black population of the United States largely shifted from the south, from rural south, up to northern industrial cities like Detroit and Chicago because the, because the bad weather in the south made it impossible for them to remain there. So, so bad weather in the 20s and 30s had a huge effect on, on the demographics of the United States, which, I, which I've tried to educate the public about to realize that weather's actually been pretty good recently, but during the 1920s and 1930s particularly, we had very severe climate issues which did impact people very severely. And then just a few decades later, suddenly there was this mass hysteria about global cooling. Yeah, there was, um, so there was a lot of warm, the United States was, and a lot and a lot of other places like um, the Eastern Arctic, Iceland, Greenland, um, were extremely warm um, around 1940. Um, there was a huge amount of warming um, from, say, 1890 up through 1940, and then temperatures started plummeting. Um, from from 1940s until the mid 1970s, uh, got much colder. There was a large expansion of Arctic ice. Um, ports in Iceland became blocked with ice for the first time in oh in 150 years. Um, so it was causing a lot of problems. And so this was very it was widely discussed in the press and the scientific community. And a lot of people believed we were headed into a new ice age. And then um, after, we're starting around 1976 or 1977, then things started warming back up again. And current temperatures, or maybe 20 years ago, were probably comparable to what they were around 1940. But distortion of the temperature record by people at NASA and NOAA has caused this belief that it's much warmer now than it was back then. Mm. But I think there's pretty strong evidence that we're no warmer now than we were 80 years ago but tony there's a 97 percent consensus <laughs> yeah so that's a that, that's one of my favorite numbers right so um you know barack obama was a very clever guy and um i think he realized that they were never going to be able to convince the public of this of this scam so he, he came up with this idea around 2013 that we don't need to convince people of the science, we just need to convince people that scientists believe this. So he started tweeting out stuff like, 97% of, of scientists believe that global warming is real, it's man-made, and it's dangerous. I, these were completely fabricated numbers. You know, you got John Cook from, from Australia to make up some very contrived statistics based on very limited sample size and misinterpreting the data, which he used that in, in this claim. But then the story became that it doesn't matter what the actual science says, it's, it's what we politicians in the press say scientists believe. And then anyone who disagreed with that is disagreed with 97% of the world's sciences. So that, that, was, that was a tremendously um, brilliant uh, effort and which Obama was largely the purveyor of. So I'm, uh, kudos to him for, for for such a fantastic effort at mass brainwashing. But I mean, you're right. It's quite clever because if you say, well, no, it's not, that's not correct. 
then the response is, are you saying that 97% of scientists are wrong? <laughs> exactly. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who are you to disagree with 97% of the world's science? But that's an interesting dilemma, though, because yeah. science actually is not about consensus, Tony. Yeah, well, it's not, first of all, it's not true. Mm. And as you point out, I've never met a serious geologist who actually believes any of this nonsense. But even if it were true, it wouldn't make any difference. Um, Galileo said, in questions of science, the authority of a thousand isn't worth the humble reasoning of a single individual. Um, in, in the 1930s, a, a paper was put out by um, 100 German scientists titled 100 German Scientists Against Einstein. And they were disagreeing with Einstein because he was a Jew, basically, right? But he, he was Germany's top scientist, and they were trying to target his scientific theories. And Einstein said, says, okay, so if I'm wrong, all they need is one scientist to explain it rather than 100 scientists claiming that I'm wrong. You know, why do they need 100? <laughs> um, but then, all right, so where did, I mean, what what happened next? I mean, then the IPCC was formed in what nineteen ninety thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. Well, originally the, the the IPCC actually was sort of a legitimate organization. I used a lot of the material from their nineteen ninety report, but um, around the year two thousand, they just gave up on doing any actual science because the science wasn't working out for them. And then they just started altering the data. Like if you if you compare their Arctic sea ice graph from the 1990 report and the 1995 report with the one from their 2001 report, they completely changed the data because the data wasn't doing what they wanted to do. Same thing with satellite temperature data. It wasn't cooperating with them, so they just started making up fake data. And... Eventually, the IPCC got completely taken over by politicians. Um, Chris Lanzi of the National Hurricane Center resigned in 1990. He was the head of the National Hurricane Center. He resigned in 2007. Mm. He said because they were just ignoring his work and they had people like Kevin Trenberth just writing fake stories about hurricanes, even though they had no actual experience with hurricanes. So what the actual science was no longer made any difference. It was just whole thing had been taken over by politicians but then something big happened and that was the hockey stick yeah so in, so around 1995 um david deming he's a geologist at the university of oklahoma told the senate committee a while back that in 1995 he was contacted by a major researcher in climate and told we have to get rid of the medieval warm period because the medieval warm period wrecked their whole story so in 19 around 1997 michael mann came up with this hockey stick or he just combined a bunch of really bad um, he took a bunch of proxy data from the past um, corrupted it and he combined it with um really bad manipulated temperature data from NASA. And then he threw out proxy data after the year 1970, which didn't show what he wanted it to show, which became known as Mike's nature trick or hiding the decline. So he combined, he made this hodgepodge of completely worthless data, combined it together and created this whole fake hockey stick where suddenly after the year 1900, Earth started heating out of control. And the story was it was because of the burning of fossil fuels. And it, 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 it was completely contrary to the work from the 1990 report. I used their temperature data from the 1990 report, the IPCC temperature data from the 1990 report all the time because it was fairly legitimate. But after 1997, beginning in the 2001 report, their temperature graphs just became fake data from Michael Mann. And they they, they they created this fake story, and, and they've been sticking with it ever since. I remember, um, I can't remember actually when it was, but you shared some photo comparisons over you know the last hundred years of, of sea level um, uh, locations from different, different parts of the world. And I decided to see if I can dig up some photos of my own city, Cape Town, the bottom tip of right. Africa. And I happened to find some 
some photos from 100 years ago, pretty much taken from the same spot. And the exact opposite to what you to what the alarmism claims uh the city actually moved into the ocean <laughs> there is no yeah. there's no evidence at all of sea level rise right uh, yeah. and that's over 100 years now right apparently we're all going to drown in the next 7 years <laughs> right right you know, it's, I was um, visiting Pevensey Castle on the southeast coast of England a few years ago and the castle is about a mile away from the ocean. And I was talking to the curator and he showed me a picture, a photograph, or a picture of what the castle looked like when it was originally built by the Romans and then later used by the Normans. So the Romans occupied it around, you know, the year 300 AD. And at that time, the castle was a moat, the, the ocean was a moat surrounding the castle. And now the castle is a mile away from the ocean. And I saw, I saw that I was just like stunned. It's like, so 2,000 years ago, sea level was all the way up to the edge of the castle. And now the sea is, an, is, is a mile away. And so that became a, a favorite of mine. And, and then I looked into it, and this is actually the case all over Europe, that these places, these castles which were built using the ocean as a natural moat are now very far away from the ocean. This is a common thing. So we know that sea level is much lower now than it was um, 2,000 years ago. But, of course, that's not the story that's yes. being told to the public. But it doesn't make sense either because if sea level rises – um, as yeah. they claim, it should also rise everywhere in the same type of way. I mean, you're not going to find India having much higher <laughs> sea level than, right. say, than Brazil. Well, you can get minor changes in um, differences in sea level caused by short-term wind patterns. You know, wind can blow waves on, on mm. shore. And you can also get differences in trends because... But tide gauges that don't actually measure a rise in sea level, they measure the, the difference between the land and the ocean. So places where the land is rising, sea level will appear to be falling. In places where the land is sinking, you'll, you'll see the opposite. So that can be misleading. Like the northeastern United States, the land is sinking. And so it makes it look like sea level is rising there. Um, in Sweden, the land is rising very quickly, so it makes it look like sea level is falling, which means Greta has to walk further to the beach, right? Because because sea level is falling. How, how dare you, Tony? <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my favorite, though, is um, in Sydney Harbor, Fort Denison. Um, you know, they always that. got global, global warming protesters there and at Bondi Beach, north of Sydney. If you look at historical pictures there, Sea level has not changed over the last <laughs> 140 years, and and I and I made an animation of the beach at, at La Jolla, California, at the Cove, which is one of my favorite beaches. From I've got a picture from 18 high tide picture from 1870, and a high tide picture of from recent years, and I made it so it morphed in, and you could see that the the waves are at exactly the same level as they were in 1871. So, so you can do this just about anywhere. But yeah. I mean, in all seriousness, all right, let's just pretend for a second that sea level is rising. It, right. It would be rising at such a slow rate that you've got more than enough time to build walls, you know, you yeah. know, and just raise raise the land slightly. I mean, it's it's so slow, even if it were true. Yeah, Holland's been below sea level for their entire existence, and they've managed to cope with it just fine. So if it actually happened, I think we could probably learn from what they were doing in Holland a thousand years ago. People were clever enough to take care of it then. I, I think that yeah, assuming that we're as intelligent as we were a thousand years ago, should be able to figure out a way to manage. But they all know it anyway. I mean, Obama bought that um, massive property on the coastline. Two of them. He, he he's got he bought a he's got a twenty million dollar mansion in in Massachusetts on the coast, and now he's got an, another one, a ten million dollar mansion in Hawaii, which is also right above sea level. See, obviously, he's got thirty million dollars invested in properties, which, according to his own propaganda should be gone 20 years from now. So obviously he doesn't actually believe any of the nonsense he says. 
Well, Tony, I've got a I've got a very important question for you. All right. Yeah. Who, who's more accurate? Uh, climate change uh, modelers or Jehovah's Witnesses? <laughs> Probably the Jehovah's Witnesses. Are I've, I've never seen it. climate models are completely worthless. You know, people have this idea that, well, it came from a computer. It must be right or something. So I'm a computer guy. You know, the vast majority of software out there is complete garbage. So mm. it's, it's pretty a lot of really bad programmers out there. You got to get a bad programmer, give them an agenda, give them lots of money to write a bad model. It's you can get get them to say anything you want them to say. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Um I mean, why do they keep modeling and why do people keep believing it every single prediction seems to be wrong i mean what like we're talking 50 100 predictions well people have very short-term memories right most people do so no matter how many times they've been misled misinformed scammed they just come back with the same thing academics say scientists say you know the press always says experts say academics mm -hmm. say and so that's supposed to take the little people out of the equation, right? You can't question this because this person's a PhD from Harvard's yeah. and you're just some, you know, you're just some peasant who you lacks the credentials to question. So no matter how many times you hear the same nonsense and it turned what they're saying tur turns out to not be true, you're still not allowed to question them because you're a peasant and these are the intellectual elite. So th their judgment always wins out. Even if they've been wrong for, with everything they've said for the last 30 years, doesn't make any difference. Um, you mentioned fossil fuels earlier. You're not opposed to green energy. No, I, I have wind and solar on my house. I think they're wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful way to keep you off the grid. Um, you, you can. I, I don't trust the government to keep you know, the electricity on. I don't trust them to keep my house warm. So I've got a wood burning stove, a huge supply of wood. I've got solar and I've got wind so that when things do go down and I'm sure they will, um, they're not going to be able to freeze me to death. I'll, I'll be able to keep the house nice and warm with the wood burning stove and I'll have electricity most of the time from the wind and solar. Let's talk about heat waves. Uh, I keep seeing this in the media. Uh, hottest, hottest on record. This this town, hottest ever. Um, yeah, that's that's just fake. Those are just fake statistics people are making up. It's based on a lack of knowledge of history or manipulated statistics. If you look in the United States, heat waves are way down from the 1930s. We used to have very severe heat waves in the United States from the 1910s to the 1950s. Over the last 60 years, heat waves have been much less frequent, and currently we're near record lows. So no, there's absolutely no truth to that in the United States. Um, in Australia, what they've done is really interesting. They had terrible heat waves during the 19th century up through like 1906. The, the record heat in Victoria occurred in um, 1906 at Mildura. And so what the Australian Bureau of Meteorology has done is they just erased all of the temperature records before 1910, when it was very hot. Um, in the United States, they haven't erased them. What they do is they just manipulate the data to make the heat of the past disappear. But no, there's these stories about um, heat waves are absurd. And, and recently, there's been a lot of propaganda about heat waves in India, which is which is um, fan I, I love those stories, right? India is always hot, right? It's always been terribly hot there, um, and particularly during the spring before the summer monsoons start. You know, when it, the heat, the worst heat in India is typically in April, May, and early June before the moon, monsoons start. And um, Mark Twain had a great quote about that. Um, it says, when you live in a place where the normal temperature is 138 degrees in the shade, like India, talking about cold waves doesn't really have much meaning. And he goes on and says, say it's the difference between 
the brass doorknob melting and, and and not melting is what they call a cold wave. And Rudyard Kipling, you know, was lived in India and he had he had lots of great stories about the heat in India as well. So the heat heat in India is nothing new. And like I mentioned, heat waves and drought are there in India in 1878 and 1896 killed tens of millions of people. So this is not something new, but you see all these stories in the press. It's hot. It was really hot in India. It was record heat, and and 50 people died as a result. And but this is nothing new. It's just a lack of historical information, which allows them to propagate this. But let's assume that Earth, over the next century, warms up by what? What is that number? One degree. All right. Yeah. What actually is the worst case scenario? It doesn't sound very much to me. Well, first of all, I, I don't think there's any reason to believe it'll happen. But secondly, most of the warming, which has been claimed for Earth, has been Arctic winter temperatures. Um, the vast majority of the warming, which show, we showed in their figures, is that Arctic winter temperatures have warmed up substantially over the last 30 or 40 years. And that, and that's associated with the Atlantic multi-decade multi-decadal oscillation. The Arctic was also extremely warm around 1940, and the ice was melting very quickly, and the glaciers were disappearing in Greenland. Glaciers in the United States and, and Europe largely disappeared um, during the first half of the 20th century during a similar warming period. So it doesn't actually have, any, it doesn't have anything to do with carbon dioxide. It just has to do with ocean circulation patterns. But over since the 1970s, there's been a lot of warming during the Arctic winter, and you know nobody's burning up in the Arctic because the temperature is minus 20 degrees instead of minus 30 degrees. Right? So the actual warming that's been occurring doesn't really have much to do with increased heat waves or get, getting hotter in most of the Earth. It's just the Arctic winters haven't been quite as cold as they were previously. Yes, but I mean, you keep seeing the sensational headlines. You know, no ice, yeah. no no Arctic ice by 2015, and every time there's a there's a number, and those headlines don't age very well. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that that's really interesting because the amount of there's been no change. You know, Al Gore gave his got the Nobel Prize in 2007, and he made this very solemn, sober speech. I like it's one of my favorite videos, talking about the. Arctic's going to be ice-free in seven years, and all these very serious-looking people there in Oslo. Wow, this sounds really bad. And and, and Gore said, this and many other indications that our world is spinning out of kilter. Well, there's more Arctic ice now than there was when he, when he made that speech 15 years ago. The ice isn't disappearing. Greenland has actually seen substantial increases in the amount of ice um, in, over the last few years. There was a period when Greenland was melting about 20 years ago, but those are over. So they're just recycling the same stories from 20 years ago when the Arctic actually was melting. But it looks like the Arctic is headed into a cooling period now. In fact, the North Pole is probably having its coldest summer since 1958 right now. Um, and last and last winter was the coldest winter on record in Antarctica. So there's evidence that the poles are cooling down right now. The thing about the ice, though, it seems to dominate. It seems to dominate the the narrative. Why is it so important? Well, the story is, of course, that if if the glaciers melt in Greenland and Antarctica, that will raise sea level, and then all these wonderful liberal havens like New York and Los Angeles will drown. You know, they keep promising this will happen, but they never deliver on it. So. Yeah, it would, it would be nice to see them drowning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you look at the the like county-by-county county election map of the United States, you realize it would be tremendously beneficial to the country <laughs> if sea level would rise. <laughs> because almost all the Democratic votes come from these coastal cities, which would hopefully drown if it actually happened. But like I said, they're not actually delivering. Just on that, just quickly for a moment, uh, how active is <laughs> Joe Biden on um, on climate? Because I know Obama was very obsessed with it. 
Yeah, Biden, I mean, Biden's taken a lot more action than Obama did. I mean, Biden actually, his first day in office, he shut down the Keystone XL pipeline. Um, shortly after that, he banned all new oil and gas leases. So right after the election, immediately after the 2020 election, gasoline prices in the United States started going up, and they've gone up on you know 250 percent since the election. So people took him seriously about his promises to shut down fossil fuels, and so he he's created this huge increase in energy prices, which the United Nations is now saying is going to lead to mass starvation. And they always say they're doing this to help the poor people, but what they're actually doing is the exact opposite. What they're what they're doing is they're lead, they're leading the world into mass poverty and mass starvation with these climate actions, which they say are designed to help poor people. Yes, and of course he doesn't like Russia all that much, so he's now also trying to strangle uh, the gas uh, imports. Right, right. And what he seems to be doing actually is making Russia very wealthy because. What what Russia is doing now, I mean, by by increasing the price of gas, this helps out Russia tremendously, because that's their number one export, right? So, so now Russia's getting a lot more money for the gas they sell, and they've and Russia's made huge new contracts with India. They're selling a lot more gas to India now. They're selling a lot more gas to China. So what Biden's done is he's actually pr provided a lot of new income for Putin and Russia by doing these actions. How how dangerous, in your opinion, Tony, is climate change? In all seriousness. Well, then there's certainly been times in the past when dramatic climate change has been very devastating, like when we get hit by a meteor and it cools the earth down and this can cause mass extinctions. During the nineteen thirties we had terrible climate issues in the United States, which caused huge amounts of poverty, mass migrations, um, but the climate's better now than it was back then. So climate change, um, you know, there, there was these droughts in, in, in um, the 1870s and 1890s, which caused mass starvation in Asia. I mean, and I, there was a terrible drought in 19, heat wave and drought in 1921 around the world, which threatened millions of people with starvation in Eastern Europe, Russia, um, Asia, and, and other parts of the world. So the history shows that heat waves and droughts um, can be devastating to um, the human race. And, and history also shows this, that these have nothing to do with the amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. It's controlled by other things. There was a terrible heat wave and drought in the year 1540 around the world, which, which caused massive problems around the world. And mm. that obviously was not caused by the burning of fossil fuels. That was probably the hot. The summer of 1540 was probably the hottest summer on record in Europe. Now, historically, do people do better in warmer weather than in colder weather, or is it vice versa? Definitely warmer weather. If you if you look at warm periods, like around the year 1200, we had the Renaissance. Humans did extremely well. Um, the Vikings colonized Greenland. Um, it was a, a period of, of exploration and expansion. And economies did very well. The England's wine industry was competitive with France during that time. But then the weather started turning colder. Um, the Vikings got frozen out. They, every single Viking, every single Norseman in Greenland died off. Um, they, they disappeared off the face of the earth. Europe with that started having terrible problems um, as it got colder with famine, disease, a you know, large portion of the population of, of Europe was wiped out. Um, and we sort of entered a dark age during the 16th century. So yeah, so uh, traditionally warm periods, humans have done much, much better than cold periods. So if global warming is a thing, um, the politically incorrect position would be to welcome it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and if... And, and if you look at like the, 
our literature from around the 1970s during that cold period in the 1970s, NOAA magazine, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric <clears throat> Administration magazine, had a very wonderful article explaining how beneficial the warmth of the 1940s had been to humanity. And they explained how it had greatly reduced droughts and famine in India, this warmth. And so the discussion in, in the scientific community was that this cold period we were in now was a huge threat to people in Saharan Af sub-Saharan Africa, in India and in Pakistan. That there, and there was a terrible drought um, in the Sahel region of sub-Saharan Africa, which was killing millions of people. The National Science people, scientists, of the National Science Foundation, were talking quite openly about wanting to relocate millions of people from the Sahel region of Africa to other climates because global cooling was killing them. Yeah, I, I see where, you, where, you, where you're going with this. Um, yeah. But Tony, you mentioned the, the science community. Um, shouldn't we trust the science? Well, we should trust the science, but there's... Very few actual scientists involved in the discussion. <laughs> these you know, it's, well, when you see, they, they always say, they always say 97% of scientists believe such and such, but for some reason, the press always talks to the same half dozen or so academics like Michael Mann and Catherine Hale. They very rarely talk to any other academics because they're not going to tell them the story which they want to hear. Mm. So what, what they've done is the. This, the whole 97% of scientists' story has been taken over by politicians like Obama, the press. So the press, you know, controls the narrative now, and politicians do. And the, uh, but it, there's very few actual scientists involved in the discussion, and they're essentially locked out. And they they keep they they tend to keep their mouths closed because if they open their mouths, they'll lose their funding, they'll be attacked, and their careers mm. will be ruined. And then their family's going to starve, so they tend to just toe the line and keep their mouths closed because they want to keep their grant money coming in. How reliable is peer review? Look, it's it's like they're all feeding from the same trough, right? They know that if they if they know that if they toe the line, if they agree and pat each other on the back, they'll get another grant. Um, a good friend of mine was Dr. Bill Gray at Colorado State University. He was considered the world's leading tropical meteorologist. He's the guy who invented modern hurricane forecasting. He never gave in. Um, he passed away six years ago, but he never gave in. And in, so in 1993, when Al Gore became vice president, he invited Dr. Gray to a, a global warming meeting he was having. And Bill was very outspoken. He, he just flat out told Gore on the phone. He said, look, he says, I'm happy to come to your meeting, but I'm not a big fan of your theories. So Bill had gotten funding from the government every year since the 1960s, never got another penny out of the government. So the way it worked was anyone who went up against Gore's agenda got their funding cut off. Everyone knew about this, so they so they kept their mouths closed. and just towed the line. And so what you typically see in these studies is, even if there's legitimate science in the studies, there's always the first few paragraphs have some gratuitous nonsense about global warming. And that's the price that academics have to pay in order to get it published because they understand that very few people ever read past the abstract, right? So the abstract contains some nonsense about global warming. So so, so a typical way that articles are structured, climate change in the 16th century killed tens of millions of people, right? And which would, so would the premise being that climate change has always occurred, it's not caused by fossil fuels. But in the abstract, they say, global warming could make this worse, right? And then, the, and then it can get through peer review because they've thrown in the, Global warming is bad. Global warming is going to kill people. Nonsense. They don't have to provide, actually provide any evidence that global warming will make it worse. They just have to say global warming could make it worse, and then it's good to go. Then it can get through peer review, and it doesn't threaten anybody's funding. How 
how does the layman navigate this fog of propaganda war? Um, yeah, it's, it's tough, right? Um, uh, in 1841, Charles McKay wrote this wonderful book about uh, the madness of crowds, um, mass delusions and the madness of crowds. And he said, um, it's, his history shows that humans are driven mad in herds and they only regain their senses slowly and one by one. So hopefully people like you, educating educating the world um, helps people to regain their senses slowly and one by one. But I don't think there's any way to do it in en masse uh, because as Mark Twain pointed out, it's much easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled. Once they've been sucked into this, what, are you going to tell them that, oh, you've been wrong for the past 30 years about this, you've been lying to? Very few people are mm. honest enough with themselves to actually never accept something like that. For decades, we've been told by modelers that Antarctica is going to heat up, all the ice is going to melt, and everybody's going to drown. But the reality is that Antarctica has been quite cold recently. Last winter was the coldest on record in Antarctica. This year, they're having very cold weather in Antarctica as well. And so the reason you get cold weather in Cape Town is because of Antarctic air masses um, coming up. Australia is experiencing the same thing. Southeast Australia had their coldest start to winter on record. Queensland is having record cold right now. The ski areas in Australia have been having you know phenomenal early season, unprecedented. So you get all this, you're getting this cold air coming off of Antarctica. And the same people who've been telling us that Antarctica is warming up and it's going to melt down and we're all going to drown are now trying to claim that the cold in Antarctica is caused by global warming and we predicted it all along. <laughs> They're just scamsters, right? They, it, it's not, there's no intellectual honesty going on. And paradoxically, I've seen headlines in recent years saying, I think coming out of the BBC actually saying, you know, this is the end of snowfall in the UK. Oh, right. right. <laughs> yeah, that was the big one from 2000. Right? Um, yeah, that, that, that was a good one. Say, so, say, say, say goodbye to ski resorts. Right. Well, so, so I lived in um, England in the late 60s and early 70s. And, and I was traveling a lot, doing a lot of business in, in England during the 1990s. And there was no question that during the 1990s, England was much warmer than it was in the, in the 1960s and 1970s. I remember flying into Heathrow in February around 1998. I looked down as everything was green and people were water skiing. So yes, England had warmed up quite a bit since the 1970s. Um, so there was this belief around that time, 19, late 1990s and early 2000s, that, that it was never going to snow again in England. Snow was a thing of the past, right? So, I, but I was, and I believed it. I, I was totally bought off on the whole thing. So I was in in England on a business trip in on Robbie Burns' night in 2003, which is late January, early February, and I was in London. Um, getting ready to take a train out to Cambridge, and it started snowing in London. It was the first time I'd done that in many years. And I got on the train, and we started going up towards Cambridge, and um, get, eventually our train got wasn't able to make it into the train station in Cambridge because there was too much snow on there. <laughs> so I walked to the pub and uh, near the train station and spent the night in the pub, um, and people were having a pretty good time. But I started thinking about it, it's like if I'd been a global warming true believer, I started believing if all this warmth of the 1990s was caused by an increase in carbon dioxide, why are we getting this cold weather here now? And that's when I really started questioning it. And I started seeing other trends in other places. Similarly, that the warmth of the 1990s was going away. And so I realized this couldn't possibly be due to carbon dioxide. There must be something else controlling the climate. So probably, you know, I was of a similar mindset about England in the year 2000, but but then it changed. They started getting a lot of snow. And actually that night was a very famous night um, in England because 
um, the government of England had stopped purchasing grit for the motorways because they'd been told by academics that they didn't need it anymore as they were going to snow again. So what happened was the M11 outside of Cambridge just iced over and something like 11,000 cars got stuck on the motorway overnight because the government was una unable to cope with the, with the snowfall. If what you're saying is true, why is the entire establishment still pushing the false narrative? What is the reason? Well, people, this is about energy, right? It's not about science. It's not about climate. There's obviously people who want to control the energy supply for some reason. And there's all different theories about this, some of which are extremely sinister. And actually, I actually tend to go along with, with those that belief. But it's about controlling the energy supply. By demonizing um, carbon dioxide, they've created this link that burning of fossil fuels is killing poor children in, in Africa. And I just, I just made a video about this a few minutes ago, in fact. And, and so they're creating this huge amount of guilt that Western white liberals, they say, your use of fossil fuels is causing carbon dioxide. This kill, it's killing poor children in Africa. You're a horrible person. You need to give up your fossil fuels. And they've been extremely effective about this. It's like Pavlov's dogs. They've created mm -hmm. this link. Bad weather, children dying. Um, it's your use of fossil fuels that are causing it. And so it's been, they've, there's been this mass conditioning campaign. There's no scientific basis behind it, but they've con conditioned people to correlate two completely unrelated things. And by doing this, they've been able to get people to make way for people like Obama to do things like shut down the Keystone Pipeline, which has caused energy prices to increase, which is actually killing poor children in Africa, right? The, the, the actual actions that they're doing. So what they're doing is causing the exact opposite of what they claim their goals are. Do you see a turnaround? Um, well, at some point, yeah, people, I mean, you see it, you see in, in Holland, right? Um, farmers are angry and they're blocking the highways. They're, they've been hit by this agenda. The, the Dutch government is shutting down farms which have been operated for hundreds mm. of years based based on all these fake environmental stories. So people are getting very angry about it. I think people are starting to get angry about high fuel prices everywhere. When they can't get food, you know, this this leads to uprising. You know, there's there's some belief that the French Revolution was the result of a decade of drought, which led to a shortage of food. So when people aren't when people are hungry, um, eventually they rise up and, and then people, then the leaders end up like Marie Antoinette, hopefully. <laughs> let them, let them eat cake. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So have, uh, is your outlook, is your prognosis slightly more optimistic or slightly more pessimistic? Well, we're certainly headed into a very difficult period now. You know, they've been successful at, at driving energy prices up. This is, as the United Nations says, this is going to cause a huge food disaster. Um, you know, wealthy, wealthy white liberals will not be affected by this. They're the ones who are in control of the press and, and the government. Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll ignore it just like they always do. Um, so, it, so it's when does it start hitting them? It's when, when is the people who are in charge of social media, the people in charge of, of, of the press, when do they start becoming personally affected? And that's when I think the narrative starts to change. I suppose an extension of my question is how do we buffer against that? I mean, are you going to buy an electric car? Well, no, I'm, um, I ride my bicycle everywhere. <laughs> and like I said, I, 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 I hate, I hate personally, I hate cars. I would never get in them if I didn't have to. I'd much prefer to ride my bicycle. But, um, but like I said, I got a wood burning stove. I got solar mm. and winds for the roof. So what I'm doing is just insulating myself from the energy disaster, which our governments seem to be intentionally creating. Just quickly, Tony, as we come in for a landing, um, how have you coped in the last two and a half years or so? It's been a very strange time. 
Well, for me, you know, it's been very entertaining. Um, when when um, the Colorado governor announced that he was going to lock the state down, he said, screw this. He said he was going to lock it down next morning. Just grabbed the dogs, got in the car, and drove off to Nebraska. I spent a few weeks filming sandhill cranes in Nebraska. Then I drove back um, and stopped in Cheyenne, Wyoming, ran out of a house here in Cheyenne. I've been here ever since. So I, I, I was lucky that I was in a locale where there was Republican states nearby and I could escape from it. So I've largely been insulated from it. Then I went down to Arizona um, for a few weeks to film the uh, wildflowers blooming down there. And on my way back, I started realizing this was a tremendous opportunity to document mass insanity. So I started doing that. I remember I was driving through. First of all, the roads were deserted, which was wonderful. I was able to drive on the interstate highways with no traffic whatsoever. So it was great for that. But then on my way back from Arizona, I started realizing I was seeing an incredible psychological phenomenon. I'd go into the, um, into the truck stops. And the people working there were just terrified. You could see the terror on their faces. They were sure they'd been given a death sentence because they had to serve Big Macs at, you know, in the middle of this pandemic, which is going to kill them. <laughs> so for me, it's like I've, for me, I've just been documenting this whole mm-hmm. thing, while being in a position while I, where I was able to be relatively insulated from it. So, so, so documenting the insanity of man has been, mm. has been quite a venture for me. There's been times it's been very irritating because I've had to travel to Colorado frequently and during the peak of the madness, it was horrible. And, and, and visit family down in New Mexico has been, was horrible. I go to New Mexico mm. was, was, was like, they, they went completely over the deep edge, deep edge down there. I went into um, Starbucks out of Mass, and this like 18-year-old girl was just screaming at me and demanding that I get out of her store and trying to force a mask. <laughs> and and one of my best friends down there is a, the, the owner of the oldest newspaper in, in New Mexico, the New Mexican. She got so angry at me for not being vaccinated and not having a mask. She told me she didn't want to be my friend anymore and told me that I didn't have a soul and, and k- kicked me out of her home. You want to kill Granny. <laughs> yeah, my, my father refused. I got a new wife, um, beautiful Japanese wife, and my father refused to see us because we weren't wearing masks. <laughs> so, so the personal toll has been, you know, dealing with friends and family has been mm. driving pretty much everyone in my family has disowned me at this point <laughs> um, over this whole COVID thing but but for it's just part of the story for me the, you know being able to witness my own family go mm. completely nuts over this I think your story is not unique though um, I think there is some yeah. comfort there's some comfort in that yeah yeah it's Lots and lots of people mm. in dealing with insane, and even here in Wyoming, I've seen a tremendous amount of insanity. Mm. For a while, the governor did have a mask mandate, um, which I never paid attention to, which I could do in Wyoming and get away with it. In Colorado, I probably would have gotten arrested had I done that, mm. but I was able to get away with it here. But yeah, that, I've seen quite a bit of insanity up here as well. So re- Republican states haven't been immune to it. I've can you give me a second? I want to grab something. I want to show you something okay. quickly. One second. Yeah. <laughs> Good right yeah. I don't have a dog in your fight, so I can get away with this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of Trump's original fans. Um, I heard him speak in April of 2015 and immediately realized he was going to win the election. He was the only Republican who was actually telling the truth. So I became a huge Trump fan. But he lost me in May of 2020. Mm. I was hike, hiking in Sedona, Arizona on that on that trip. And I saw someone put a posted a video of him on Twitter. He's saying that we're going to have a vaccine by the yes. end of the year. It's going to be distributed by the armed forces. Whoops, said, yeah. What? And at that point, I was like, I'm mm. done with this guy. Yeah. You know, the, the, the armed forces are, I mean, like we're talking military. We're talking mm. force. I don't have anything to do with your stupid vaccine. 
And at that point, I lost. You know, he lost me, and I've not been a fan ever since then, which was really disappointing. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, but, yeah. Tony, where can people follow your work? Yeah, so the best place is just go to my blog, realclimatescience.com. Um, I post everything on there, my YouTube videos I put on there. Um, so that's really the best place to go. I got kicked off of Twitter. Uh, I had a huge following on Twitter. I got kicked off because I posted a Pfizer document, which mm. was not in dispute that it was from Pfizer, but they said it was medical misinformation. <laughs> so, so the truth became mis the truth right from the source became misinformation, and that, that uh, was yes. the end. But fact fact checkers, they're the new telemarketers marketers of the internet, aren't they? Right. <laughs> Tony Heller. Thank you so much for joining me in the trenches. Yeah, it's good talking with you, Germ. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of the Night. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.